You're listening to Drek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where the hosts from the network and friends drop by to talk all things geeky. So order a drink from Ruby and grab a chair. I'm your host Matthew Rushing and joining me today are Jamie. Hey Jamie, how's it going? I'm good, Matt. We also have our illustrious friend John Mills. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. Thank you, Matt, for inviting me on. Last but not least, we've got Mike Schiller. Mike, it's so good to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, guys, this is a brand new show. Uh, We're going to be talking about all things geeky, but all things that also don't have to do with Star Trek. Um, This is really our opportunity is is, uh, the Trek FM family and friends to be able to talk about things that we really love that don't necessarily happen within the Star Trek universe. And and today we're going to be discussing some big things, uh, one being Episode 7 and, and just some of the things going on with that, some rumors and whatnot, and then really diving into the, the new Disney show and the new Star Wars show, Rebels. So, guys, where were you when you heard the news that Episode 7 was going to actually be happening and that uh, Lucasfilm had been bought by Disney. Oh, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll jump in right there. I was actually working uh, in Chicago at an expo for the association I was employed by at that time. And uh, the news broke. I guess I saw it on Twitter. And everybody, at, I was setting up the soundboard and the recording for our uh, Hall of Fame induction for the association. And um, they suddenly heard little uh, boy-like squeals of glee from the corner as I ran. I started running around, uh, saying to everybody, "Oh, this is episode seven! Episode seven! It's going to happen! It's going to happen!" And uh, everybody just uh, thought that was a real riot. Everybody thought everybody that was, was like, "Oh my god, it's happening!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's a full-grown adult trying to hook up sound equipment and get things synced. So that the speakers can do their thing. And I totally stopped the middle of it and started running around telling everybody episode seven was going to happen. Like I I called my dad as soon as I got a break. I was like calling my dad down in Florida. I was like, dad, did you hear the news? Of course he hadn't. So I got to break it for him. John's like gotten man tears. He's like, dad, Star Wars is going to be back. Hey, man, it was a great moment. I was so happy. What about you, Jamie? I was also at work. But I work with kids, so um, they were coming in after school, and they were like, Jamie, did you hear the news? I'm like, what news? Star Wars is going to get a seventh movie. I'm like, what? you got to be joking. And then later, after I went home, I'm like, holy crap. They were right. I'm going to have an actual Star Wars movie. What about you, Mike? Um, I was... At work as well, and in Chicago as well. And uh, I saw like a tweet, I think, from uh, Bonnie Burton, where she's like, called it. And I'm like, what? And then there were more people saying, like, there's going to be an episode seven. And I'm like, no, just because they're buying, you know, (laughs) the franchise, just because they're buying Lucasfilm doesn't mean that Disney's going to be producing another movie. And then I saw, like, that that picture of of Lucas and uh, whoever it was. Mr. Disney, 
or whoever it was. Bob Iger. And Bob Iger. Yeah, there you go, that dude. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, what? And and yet, I did start calling and texting, you know, everyone that I knew, and it was just insane. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the most, that was one of the biggest shocks in terms of movie, movie news that I've ever seen in my life. Probably the biggest. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would say that uh, getting the episode seven announcement was even more of a shock than uh, getting the episode one announcement. Get, oh yeah, like because it, it was all sealed. It was this is the Skywalker family saga, and it's done. We've seen all six of them. There's never going to be a seven, eight, and nine. And then to get that news was like, yeah, that I think that was the, an even bigger announcement than the prequels. Easy, definitely. I mean, with episode one, you know, he was like. Yeah, no, I'm going to do that. I'm totally going to do that. Let me just do, you know, Radio Land Murders first, and then I'm going to do this movie and this movie. And, and then this Howard movie. the and Dog. Then, so we all knew that it was coming sooner or later, but with this, it was just like, what? Yeah. No, wait, what? No way. No way. Yeah. Well, what about you, Matt? Well, I mean, gosh, I was at work as well in Dallas and, um, you know, saw the news coming over the wire and, and of course, you know, was ecstatic in the first part. And this is another question I have for you guys. You know, for me personally, I'm a little bit worried in some ways just about having Star Wars films, at least, without George you know, and I don't know if you guys are worried about that at all, but for me, it's like, you know, George is the creator and, and, and the man behind Star Wars. He did have a lot of help, obviously, with Empire, uh, with Kirsch, and, uh, you know, really creating something special there. But, I mean, he obviously did a, a lot of the work on, on Return of the Jedi, and then, of course, he was really the man behind the prequels, and a lot of people aren't really cognizant of the fact unless they've spent a lot of time looking behind the scenes but he actually had a lot to do with uh the clone wars and in a lot mm-hmm. of the stories that we got behind there i mean he's the reason they brought back you know characters like darth maul or, or you know gave anakin and a padawan in the first place so all these kind of things they, they came from george um and uh, or the greatness of having the yoda arc at the very end and those lost missions we just got on um Netflix a little bit uh, back there and just a fantastic exploration of the force so for me I was super excited but I'm still a little bit trepidatious as we approach the films without him uh, because I I'm I've never been a Lucas hater and, and and I I really appreciate what he's done not only for for film itself and the movie industry because he's poured a lot of his own money back into that um, but just what he did for Star Wars, you know, and um, I I didn't hate the prequels. I don't love some of the decisions he made, but hey, you know, I don't love some of the decisions that any creator makes on a lot of things, um, you know. So uh, that's that's something that that's kind of where I was with it. And I'm still like that, you know, especially with we'll talk about in a second. Some of the rumors I'm hearing, I'm like, you know that's that's where they might go with this uh, that that worries me so we'll see we do know that officially that Luke Han Leia Chewie are back 
Um, we've got a lot of newcomers, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Donald Gleason, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, Oscar Isaacs. We've got Andy Serkis, Max von Sydow, John Boyega. Uh, this will be directed, obviously, by J.J. Abrams, who all Star Trek fans know uh, with his last two films. And, and I'm a huge J.J. fan, so this isn't a bashing session on him. I, I've enjoyed a lot of his movies. And uh, I know Mike and I are, are big fans of the J.J. verse, you know, with Star Trek. So... I definitely trust him as a filmmaker. Love that we're going to be getting John Williams back. Uh, if y'all didn't see, he's actually confirmed he's going to be starting to work on the film in the next two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so Woo! goodness, I know uh, that when I saw that, I, that's when I was doing my fanboy squeal. I was like, yes, more John well, Williams. Well, um, I mean, the thing is that speaks, I, I think, even more to. Uh, I, I share a little bit of your concern that you were talking about. As I mean, I've got Star Wars tattoos. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm diehard. And um, with the stylistic choices, I, I think that it's it is only fair to be a little bit uh, trepidatious about some of the choices that Abrams might make. I think he'll make the right choices in terms of the stylistic stuff, because for it to feel like a Star Wars, I think they have more room to play around in the standalones. But for these trilogy films to feel right. They're going to have to have the wipes. They're going to have to have the music by Williams or something that sounds very close to it. They could get somebody that can imitate, you know, like they did with the Harry Potter films, um, you know, stuff that's very builds on the theme, so to speak. Uh, but they have to have the wipes. They have to have uh, a certain feel to it and a certain pace, you know, like those movies really came together in the editing room as well. So Ben Burt's on the editing team as well, correct? Is I he? don't think so. I think he might be doing sound, but I think he's got uh, Mary Ann Brandon and Mary Jo Markey cutting them. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll be I'll be interested to see how the editing goes, because I think the editing will be where a lot of this comes together. Because Lucas, you know, even when Kirshner and Mark Wand were the directors, he was the one sitting in the editing room with the teams, especially the effects team, saying when to cut and, you know, what looks good when the Rancor bites down on, on the Gamorrean and stuff like that. So... For better or worse, in some for cases. better or worse, yeah. Well, absolutely. yeah, definitely. I, but I think uh, Lucas is definitely one of those people who really uh, pushed forward the idea that you can craft a movie in the editing room as much as you can with what you shoot, and uh, you know, on a whole, kind of genius in that area. Uh, I, I think you know, M Mike, you you probably agree with me. It doesn't always work, you know, some of his choices. But he was a genius in, in the way that he would use the editing bay to craft a scene in a completely different way than what had been shot, you know, um, and, and figuring out ways to do that. I, I think from what I've heard, too, J.J. is pretty good at doing that as well. Uh, so I think it could work uh, smoothly. And, and, you know, what the look of Star Wars is is pretty cut and dry on the films. Like, you know, there's, there's a look, there's a feel to it. I... You know, if anybody out there can pull off a Star Wars film today, I think it's J.J. And I think you just kind of have to look at the latest Star Trek movies to see that, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, um, the way that I know that a lot of people don't like J.J. and a lot of people were upset when they found out that J.J. was going to be making uh, these movies. And it's weird because... I, I like to me, I mean, J.J. Abrams is one of the best filmmakers out there right now. I, I loved both of his Star Trek movies. I loved Mission Impossible 3 before that. And I loved Alias before that. 
I think that, that the stuff that he's doing is some of the best stuff that anyone's doing right now in, in movies, especially when it comes to these big budget, um, you know, sci-fi movies and, and that sort of thing. I mean, in terms of the editing, I mean, you just look at Mission Impossible 3 with the same editors and there's nothing about it which stands out. There's nothing about it where you're just like, wow, look at the cool editing. But it is so seamless and so perfect and and sort of like workmanlike and and i really appreciate that that classical just really 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 strong storytelling through you know uh, a collection of images and um you know you hear a lot of people who are upset about jj and then you hear like the whole thing with like uh, gareth edwards or is it no wait who's the looper guy uh, Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Well, Gareth Edwards, or is it Gareth Evans? The guy Edwards, who did Godzilla, not yeah. the guy who did the raid. I'll never get those two straight, but whatever. <laughs> the raid guy. You hear, no, not the raid guy, the no, Godzilla, Godzilla guy. guy. Yeah. You, you hear them talk about the Godzilla guy, and then you hear them talk about the looper guy. And like, especially with, with Ryan Johnson, people are like, oh my God, now I'm excited. And it's like, to me, like, J.J. Abrams is my Ryan Johnson in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could not care less about, you know, Ryan Johnson directing episode eight. But J.J. Abrams directing episode seven to me is really exciting. And the thing which, you know, I mean, you talk about George Lucas not being involved and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. As much as I love George Lucas and I, I love the prequels and I love the originals and I love pretty much everything the guy has done. I don't want to see him make more Star Wars movies because, for one thing, I see a definite drop in terms of quality, which seems to be in direct correlation with his interest in these movies. And there's a lot of people out there who I think are much more interested in them that would make much better movies. And I want to see George Lucas do different stuff. He keeps on talking about how he's going to make mm -hmm. crazy independent movies, which no one's going to want to see. I want to see those movies in a big, bad way, much, much more than I want to see him to make a new Star Wars movie. I, and I wish I, that he would get on that. I actually agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I want to see him get back to something more experiment. I want to see him get back to his American graffiti. I want to, I see, want him, to see him get back to his THX. Yes, THX. I, I would love to see something like THX, something that's like that hardcore sci-fi, like mind bending what does it all mean sort of feeling nothing cut and dried about it yeah um well, you come out yeah. of it and you're like i don't know what that was but it was awesome yeah exactly i completely agree with you um the the head scratcher for me is i don't i'm not the world's biggest jj abrams fan but i'm also not a basher i like the guy's style like i like him but i will always wonder why he didn't sign on to do all three why he signed on only to do episode seven. I mean, everybody knows the story that like, you know, he had to be, he had to be dragged on kicking and screaming and all of this stuff, um, you know, sort of legendary by now. Why would you not want to do all three? I mean, what, what is the resistance is, is my That's, question. Well, I mean, a big thing for him, I think is having to shoot him in London. And I think also a big thing is, you know, he does have his own career. And I think maybe if it was the type of thing where he could go off and make Super 9 and then come back and do Episode 8 and then make <laughs> right. Super 10, then, you know, he probably would do it. But that's obviously not the schedule that they're working with. That's a, but, good, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
Well, that's, a, that's, those... that's why Christopher Columbus didn't end up doing more Harry Potter movies. By the time he had finished the second one, he was completely dead, just exhausted. Uh, and, you know, his family had been in London for a very long time at that point. Uh, and it, the shooting schedule, working with kids is, is so tough. Um, and, you know, he, as much as he loved it, there was no way he could continue. I mean, the plan was for him to do all of them. But, you know, he yeah. did two and he was out. So, and and... Uh, you know, we'll talk about that on another show, but I think he did a great job of setting a great foundation for other people to build on. Um, and so, in the, in the same way that I think Lucas has built a great foundation and people can build on that. And I think to me, you know, it, I don't think it was George's interest, but I think George works best when he has other people around him. And I think to me, that's why the Clone Wars flourished because George had the ideas and then Dave Filoni took those ideas and they flowed the rest of the way through him. And jo- and and Dave's a huge fan and he did an, a phenomenal job with with the Clone Wars and I think that's why it came out as well as it did, you know, the storylines, the characters, all of that. It felt like Star Wars and at the same time it, it it had that fresh vitality that I think we're are hoping for to get with episode 7. Whether a fan or not of J.J. Abrams, you, well, I don't know if, if you would, but, you know, what you're saying about George Lucas not being involved in everything like that and whether or not that's something to worry about. The fact that apparently, you know, rumor has it that one of the, the tipping points for getting J.J. to come on board this this show was Lawrence Kasdan's involvement. And then the fact that he teamed up with Kasdan to rewrite the screenplay that to me speaks volumes about jj abrams and this movie and honestly i'm way 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 more excited about lawrence kasdan working on this thing than anyone else i could possibly be excited about including george lucas like never in a million years would i have thought that that was a real thing and i just that that to me makes me really 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 excited honestly with jj abrams doing star wars i feel more comfortable with him doing star wars than i did with him directing star trek not that you know his stylistic choices weren't good or anything but he wasn't a fan of star trek he's a fan of star wars and he's going to put the love tenderness and all all that stuff that you know we as fanboys would put into it if we were working on it I think you're right, Jamie. Uh, you know, I again, I keep going back to this, but you know, Dave Filoni, he's a huge super fan of Star Wars. The guy knows a ton about it. You know, he he he's loved it since he was a kid. Came on the do the Clone Wars is now doing Rebels, and and I think on a whole gets what it means to make Star Wars. And not only that, but you know, getting to work under George for for a very long time and kind of learn what it meant to make Star Wars from the maker. Uh, it really helps create that. So I'm glad that he's involved and he kind of knows what's going on and, and can give his opinion on, on when they have those story meetings because now they have this shared continuity between the TV show, the the books, and, and the films, and the comics, and all that. It's going to be sharing the same big universe. They all work together to craft a story which will hopefully create a more vivid and vibrant whole. But do you think that possibly... Like the the Star Trek movies were like a lot of the stylistic choices. You know, there were plenty of people that made the comment that like it started to look and feel more like Star Wars. Do you think it's possible that 
Abrams took on Star Trek in the back of his mind saying, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to doing a Star Wars movie. And now he's in this situation and saying to himself, wait, I never thought I'd be here. What's going on? I felt that way, but I also feel like the Star Trek movies that he did, I've said this before a bunch of times, they were made for the PlayStation generation. It's all lens flares. It's Whether or not the movies are going to succeed is going to be depend on the story. And I didn't feel that the two Star Trek movies, for all the good acting and all the good directing and editing choices that those guys made, didn't compare to the best episodes or even the best movies of Star Trek. And when we go over to the, the films, J- I know that JJ's going to do everything in his power to, you know, do that. Or do the best he can, like make another episode five for Star Wars fans. But I feel like his work on Star Trek was a demo reel if he ever got the chance to go do Star Wars. Well, that's that's where I think just what we want to talk about next kind of comes in. There's a lot of rumors out there about the story, um, you know, uh, whether or not Han and Chewie are not flying around in the Millennium Falcon, but on a Super Star Destroyer now, or uh, you know, uh, Luke turns out to be the bad guy. Luke turns out to be the good guy. Luke's been gone for thirty years. Luke's been gone for fifteen years. Uh, Han and Leia have a kid. Han and Leia don't have a kid. Han and Leia got married, but now they're estranged. I mean, the rumors just kind of go on and on. And so there's a lot out there. But I think as any Star Wars fan would tell you it is about the story and the characters and that is what's going to matter so what would you guys i mean knowing that han and chewie and leia you know those characters are back at least for this film and we have all these other new characters that'll come out what is it that you would kind of hope to see from a new star wars film luke as an obi-wan character i i want luke's involvement to be to shepherd the new generation as it were to be, you know, somebody's lost their way or what have you, but I want Luke's participation to be Obi-Wan esque. I want it to be him coming into his own as a master, but not the main character. And being that, that voice that guides them on their path. Uh, the thing that I am most, uh, not sold on is, uh, bringing back Han and Leia. Actually, I, in a sense, it's unavoidable, but I, I always imagined that if there were a third trilogy, it would be in the, it would move along in the sense of the way that the, the prequels and the originals do, which is you can view them separately together. They work as a whole story or they work as a separate story. I think that if they have Han, Luke and Leia in too prominent a role in this one, this trilogy no longer functions as independently as it should in that tone poem structure that's sort of been set up to this point. I could well, be that wrong. That raises the question too of, uh, you know, okay, so Yoda says, you know, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be? A lot of people take that that Luke is just going to be the last Jedi, but I don't, I don't think I ever took it that Luke would never go on and because. Yoda also tells him to pass on what you have learned. 
Right. So to me, this this means that Luke's mission from Yoda, you know, his his, his sending out his his uh, his new you know marching orders from the last Jedi, you know, Grand Master, is to pass on what he's learned and create a new Jedi order because he yeah. is the last one, you know. Um, there were no others. There was no, there's no Ahsoka. There's no, you know, nobody's left, but, but me, you know, Yoda knows that. Uh, and now I've trained you. And so you're the last one, which means you're the only hope to bring back Jedi to this galaxy. Well, uh, so that I'm with you. I want to see him be kind of that Obi-Wan Yoda type character. Yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, the, Obi-Wan and Yoda <laughs> semantics mattered. Uh, so Luke was the last of the formal Jedi, but it's very, you know, easily believable that there were others waiting in the wings that had fled. And I mean, they've obviously created this sort of, I mean, especially with rebels, you know, there are other Jedi. You just, you know, they were in the margins and who knows what happened to them in between sort of stuff. Um, Shh, we're hiding. Yeah, basically. I'm no longer officially a Jedi. I mean, force users are going to be around. So yeah, I agree with you. Luke's role was to reinitiate the order, uh, as it were. But I think that by this point in the story, he should have faded to the background. It's the next generation's, you know, like it was nice to have Spock cameo in Next Generation, and it was nice to have uh, uh, Bones show up um, in Encounter at Farpoint, and Scotty to have his little say. But they weren't. You know, they didn't have like season long arcs uh, in Next Generation. They had their appearance and then they went away and it was the nod to the fans and passing the torch sort of stuff. But it was never dominant uh, to the story. The story always belonged to the Next Gen crew. Yeah, it's the same way that the the original trilogy, the holdovers from the prequel trilogy are an old Jedi, you know, a, a Cyberman. Uh, sorry, Doctor Who fans, I don't really mean that that way. Um, <laughs> and uh, two droids, you know, um, and a couple of kids who grew up. So, I mean, uh, it, and the story really becomes, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's the redemption of Darth Vader, but it's also the story of, of the kids making that happen and changing the galaxy because their father royally screwed it up. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you, John. I, I would like to see that. What about you, Mike? What, what you want to see? You know, I honestly don't care as long as it's good. <laughs> I mean, there, there was like this thing one time, I forget what it was. I think it might've been the Cannes Film Festival and they asked like Martin Scorsese, who was like the head juror or something, you know, like, what are you looking for in, you know, a movie here? And he's like, I'm looking for something that'll change my life. And it's like, that's really actually kind of, you just hit the nail on the head right there, right? I mean, sort of in regards to anything. And, you know, I really don't care. I, I trust these guys. And, I, and you know, I'm, I'm assuming that they have something to say. And, you know, to me, it's almost like if I start saying, like, this is what I want to see, then it becomes kind of pointless. You know, I want to see something that I haven't seen before. And whether that's with Han and Leia and Luke and Chewie, or whether that's with, you know, Daisy Ridley and the guy from Attack the Block or whatever, I don't care, just as long as it's awesome. I'm definitely with Mike on that. I mean, 
as long as the story is good and it moves me, whether it's in my mind or in my soul, that's that's what I want. Man, Mike, I I just gotta say, I, I think that that is probably the best attitude to have. You know, I think we as fans, and I think this happened with the prequels. We have expectations of what we want to see. Like it, it just never fails. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's the new James Bond movie, whether it's the new Doctor Who, whether it's uh, what's going to happen next on our favorite TV show, uh, with our favorite characters for the next season when it comes back. Finally, we all have ideas of where we think things should go, and those expectations when they're not met can really hurt i think the enjoyment of whatever it is and i think that really hurt especially with the prequels i think a lot of people went in there expecting one thing and george had crafted something different and um, because of that unmet expectation people hated it um and i that's not george's fault for not meeting people's expectations whether the movie is good is different you know, uh, and, and that's where we can actually, you know, we could, you could have the argument is, is this movie good? Uh, but just desiring something to be good, I find on a whole makes me enjoy it a whole bunch more. You know, I, I go into pretty much any movie I see. I'm like, I want to love this movie. I, I'm not going to, cause I hope I'm not paying $10 or more because I hope this movie sucks. And, you know, going into it with, uh, the lowest expectations uh, sometimes can help. You know, I went and saw Chris Pine's This Means War for a dollar, and I came out and was pleasantly surprised that it didn't suck. But, you know, I had really low expectations going in. But on a whole, I want movies to be good. Yeah, and it's really hard to divorce yourself from that, too. I mean, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I spent an entire year where I purposefully didn't watch a single trailer and I went into movies as blind as I could be just so that I wouldn't have these preconceptions of things. And uh, it was kind of amazing. And I know that that's not going to happen with Star Wars. And I am going to have certain things which I'm expecting. And I may be disappointed by it, you know, by not seeing those things. But, I mean, I guess ultimately that that's my fault, right? I'm disappointed that there doesn't look like there's going to be any Lando. I think that's kind of cheap. I don't, no. I don't think that's right. But he's right. going to be on Rebels, right? <laughs> Is he? Just keeps oh, getting... That's what he says. <laughs> this deal just keeps well. getting worse all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So the the big thing that, that happened when, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, Clone Wars was linked with Warner Brothers. And mm-hmm. because of that, we all kind of knew that that probably meant it was going to be shut down. And it was, which was unfortunate for me. I, I, I love the show. Honestly, to me, it was probably uh, my favorite thing to come out of Star Wars in the last like 15 years. I just I really loved Clone Wars and I felt like they were really hitting their stride. A few months later, they announced that they were going to be starting a brand new show called Star Wars Rebels that was going to take place about four or five years before A New Hope and was going to be about the dawn of the Rebel Alliance. You know, what was it? Uh, what was the beginning of what we saw uh, that Leia is a part of, that Mon Mothma is a part of, that all these people were a part of? And so and this show did just finally come out uh, last week, and we've all gotten a chance to watch the first episode, hopefully uh, one or two times. I've watched it a couple of times now. And 
So you guys, talk about your first impressions of the show. Um, this is a brand new animated show. Uh, it, it It's a lot of the same creators. Uh, you know, Dave Filoni, Joel Aaron, a lot of these guys who, uh, uh, Killian Plunkett, um, and, and then we also have Simon Kinberg involved. I mean, a lot of the same guys from from Clone Wars, but then some great names there in animation and in film coming in with this show. What did you guys think? I'll let somebody else go first because otherwise <laughs> I'm just going to just blather on forever because I, well, I, I have some I'll very definite first. strong opinions. <laughs> uh, I thought the animation was pretty good. Uh, it actually kind of gave me a, I don't know if you guys have played the this game, but um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic where they're all together on this little ship and they're going off on missions. It kind of felt like that to me. Not necessarily from the standpoint that, you know, there's a bunch of Jedi and stuff, but from the standpoint that we're all on this mission. It's kind of like Star Trek in, in, in that sense, where they're going, they're trying to spark the rebellion that we know is coming, and we get uh, characters that I feel like Within the next, I don't know, maybe four or five episodes, you could really, like, identify with one of them. Like, for me, it was awesome to see Obi-Wan Kenobi, who happens to be my personal favorite Star Wars character. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, for, for me, um, you know, I, I, I was looking forward to the series quite a bit. You know, as much as I did like Clone Wars, which was a decent amount, and I, I still haven't finished it, honestly. I've got like 32 episodes left. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, the, the idea of getting rid of that in order to do something different appealed to me, especially um, in terms of going forward in the timeline and getting closer to the original trilogy and uh adopting that style you know the the and, and i'm sure that we're going to talk about this later you know but i mean it really does look like it was made by you know like 1977 ilm and, and all that stuff and sort of adopting that attitude of like fun you know i mean the the clone wars you know kind of follows the the prequel trilogy in the sense that it's it's very i'm not saying this in a bad way but it's very childish and yet also very serious and it's like i don't want childish and serious i want adult and fun you know it, it's just it, it really is sort of like the original trilogy version of the clone wars and 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 i like that a lot and i'm very excited to see you know, when I heard that, like, Simon Kinberg was working on it, I think that guy's amazing. I mean, if you haven't seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith, check that movie out. The writing in that is super solid. And Greg Wiseman, you know, the guy who created Gargoyles. I mean, come on, that show is the bomb. Yeah, Gargoyles so is pretty I'm, awesome. So I'm very excited to see what the future has in store for this show. And as much as I, I did think Clone Wars was good knowing that they, they're really only going to be able to do one of these things at a time, I'm willing to sacrifice it to get Rebels. I adored Clone Wars, but I agree with the philosophy of, you know, one at a time. But I also am fine with them taking it down while it's on top. 
it didn't have a chance to start stinking. It didn't have a chance to run out of ideas. They were able to cancel that show when it was still strong. And I would rather, I mean, to be honest, that's how I felt about Next Generation was they, they went out while they were still strong. Good. I'm never going to have a bad memory of that show. I'm never going to say, yeah, it's never going to be, it's never going to be like an X-Files moment where I'm going to say they really should have canceled that a couple of years prior to when it went out. With the show Star Wars Rebels, I'll give it, I'll do like an HR thing. I'll talk a positive thing and then a negative thing about it. Positive, I give you guys the positives, right? The, I, I like the animation. I like the way they're setting up the characters. I think that they could have benefited from one of the things that really helped me latch on to the Clone Wars from the beginning was having that movie to establish everything and give it a feel like it was a movie in that universe and give me a chance to get to know everybody instead of, you know, in little uh, chunks of time. It gave me a nice full movie to sit down and say, okay, this is where everything fits and this is what they're going to do. Barring that, I like what they're doing with this except for some of the stuff with these first two episodes has been... Uh, it's it's almost what I'm afraid of what might happen with episode seven, which is it's too fanboyish at moments. The music that they use during the uh, during some of the attack scenes, during some of the imperial fights, is lifted from the soundtracks for the films that already exist. I don't like that. They did it with Clone Wars uh, a little bit. And so I'm willing to let it slide. But when the main characters have the force theme given to them, to me, I'm willing to let that one slide. But then when they play dogfight music from uh, from episode four over a dogfight that's happening, I feel that the team is better than that. That they don't need to do a note-for-note lift of the Adat Walker theme in episode two when the Scout Walkers are coming after them. Uh, and, and layering it in the the music that's happening already. We know what universe they're trying to call out. It's inevitable that some of the music is going to purposely uh, mirror, and that's that's cool, but they've really got to be very... I'm going to be disappointed if it keeps going that way um, because I think that they have a good enough team to make unique themes. Ahsoka had her own theme on Clone Wars, and uh, while they used familiar themes, they didn't use them to excess uh, while it was going on. I think there's enough about this show that evokes that original trilogy feel without having to lay on the music. Like in, in the second episode, the mu- they used the music cue two or three times with the droids of, uh, uh, of uh, the, the music of them walking up to Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. Now, I know that to most people that might be like, you know, it might just seem familiar to them, but like these soundtracks are literally just embedded note for note in my brain. And it takes me out of the enjoyment of the show when music that belongs to another moment that already happened is used like that, where it's just lifted and dropped on top of a scene that takes me as the, the diehard fanboy out of the moment. So I hope that they pull back from that. I didn't particularly care for the fact that by the second episode, they'd already gone to R2 and 3PO. 
that seems like something where you want to give your characters more time to establish themselves before bringing those characters in because these characters are supposed to exist on the periphery. And then that meeting R2 and 3PO should be like the special episode of, you know, uh, of the Jeffersons where Archie Bunker comes to visit or something like that. You know, like, eh, it, it felt too early. It's too soon for that. So that, but keep in mind, I'm couching all of this as I'm going to be watching the show every week and I believe in this team and I, I feel that they can course correct. They might be leaning on it a little heavy in the beginning to sell it to, to a new audience. And so I'm not going to, I'm, I'm honestly not frying them for it. It's just, these are things that I hope they course correct over time. Let's talk about that and uh, talk about the look of the show. Um, and you mentioned that a little bit, Mike, that this kind of looks like Star Wars. Uh, honestly, uh, they have talked a lot about uh, this show and, and uh, its pre-production and, and, and videos online about how they really did mine, uh, you know, the, the backlog of, of Lucasfilm and, uh, you know, George saves everything at Lucasfilm. You know, there's no bad idea. If he doesn't like it, that doesn't mean it wasn't a bad, it was a bad idea. They just save it for another time. And so, you know, Ralph McQuarrie's art, Joe Johnson, all these guys from the original trilogy, all of their stuff still exists. And if it wasn't used, they just cataloged it. And so this meant that the team from Rebels, when they are obviously creating this show, they get to go in and they get to use that stuff, which I think is great. Um, for me personally, it just, I find on a whole, the show looks fantastic. I do think though, it looks like a walking Kenner play doll set. I mean, all the characters look like they're Kenner toys from the seventies and and the eighties. So I think that's a little bit funny. Most of the time it works, except for when we get to Wookiees and then I feel like they look just I, I don't like the look of the Wookiees in this show as compared to something like they did in the Clone Wars. Um, <laughs> they look a little silly. Um, but on a whole, I think the character designs work. Um, I'm hoping that the faces for the characters gets a little bit more articulation to it. I feel like they need a little bit more emotion, especially in maybe uh, some of the scenes I was watching again with like Sabine. I just I wasn't she was saying something that's supposed to be moving, but her face looks like wood, and so it looked a little bit more like that original Clone Wars season uh, than it did, you know, later on in the series when, I mean, they were nailing, you know, uh, the the facial expressions by that point. They, they were doing a lot, so I, I just kind of, I hope to get more of that, but I do know as well, and, and if, and I'm sure our listeners will probably know this show, it doesn't have the budget that Clone Wars did. It's a, it's a smaller budget and it, and they're, they're doing the animation a lot quicker than they were, uh, back then. So, uh, this, this is going to have a different feel to it, but I do think it looks great. What it, what do you think, Jamie? What did you think about the look of the show? I thought it was pretty good. I agree with you that the, there should be more articulation in the face, knowing from, being on set on Star Trek Phase 2, a lot of emotion can be communicated not just through speaking, but, you know, what is what you're saying on your face and, and your expressions with your body. So I agree with you on that. What about you, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, it does have a little bit of that feel of the very beginning Clone Wars. 
as the technology advances, even though they're on a smaller budget, it'll get better. They'll learn techniques. They'll the the simple tools will will get more uh, ability. So I'm not concerned about that at all. In terms of the things looking like the Kenner toys, I'm way okay with that. Uh, I, there was an article where Filoni was talking about they're going to use a troop carrier, and it's the troop carrier toy from the 1970s that never appeared on like because Kenner, one of Kenner's greatest achievements. Uh, was that they had those toys that were based on the sketches or dreamed up on their own. And I still have some of them in a bin where they were never on screen, but they were created simply so that they could expand the toy line. And they looked and they felt right. And I hope that they keep making things look like the Kenner toys. In terms of it looking like the like the original film and ILM in 1977, this is, you know, if I wasn't geeking out enough about the music, I would have been a very unhappy camper if the frames of the TIE Fighters had been blue instead of white. That is an important attention to detail right there. That tells me that they do care. Well, and and uh, they've talked a lot about the idea, too, that they went back and looked at the original creation of lightsabers. And how did the lightsabers look in 1977? You know, what was the, how did the flicker look? You know, uh, the blade was a little bit thinner than we're used to uh, in a lot of ways. So all of that, they, they painfully, meticulously tried to recreate in this show so that when Ezra first ignites the lightsaber for the first time, that you feel like it's Luke experiencing the lightsaber for the first time in episode four. I think that just, it does, it shows that these guys, one, they know their stuff, and two, they care, and three, I I, I trust them with this show, you know, and, and so, uh, what do you guys think about the characters? We've got Kanan, uh, you know, who's the rogue Jedi undercover, we've got Hera, the pilot, the Twi'lek pilot, we've got Zeb, the Lasat enforcer, uh, and <laughs> we've, uh, who's actually based off uh, one of uh, Macquarie's original drawings for Chewbacca but they didn't mm-hmm. use. Uh, Chopper, who has been des- uh, described as not the dog of the family, but the cat. He'll do it when he wants to do it, uh, when uh, and if he feels like it. Uh, we do have the young um, street rat Ezra, uh, or Aladdin, and uh, then we have the Mandalorian Sabine. What do you guys think about the, the new characters? For the most part, I, I do like them. Uh, I think that they have... Uh, pretty good dynamic amongst the the characters i especially like the droid i think that they did a good job uh with that and and its attitude and everything like that i don't know if you guys watched the little shorts that they did which led up to the first episode but i thought those were really good and um i I kind of like the fact that they are like i was kind of saying before fun you know it's not wartime necessarily and even though these people are dealing with some pretty heavy stuff it's still um light in a sense in its tone and uh, i think a lot of that has to do with the way that the characters are presented and the way that they interact with each other uh so i do appreciate that i kind of wish that they would have been like you know what let's not put any jedi in this thing because you know i mean seriously but it's Star Wars, so, you know, I guess they have to do that, right? Or something. 
Well, I mean, how how interesting would it have been if if you were to find out that Kanan wasn't a Jedi but was friends with one, and so he kept that stuff because he wanted to keep the memory alive, or something like that? Or you just like don't have it at all. all right. I mean, that that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything is I want to see the standalone Star Wars movie that doesn't have a lightsaber in it, you know? Once yeah. we get to that point, I'll be like, okay, now we can do anything. Yeah, this is awesome. But, you know, having a Jedi on the run definitely makes it possible for them to bring in the Inquisitor so that they can have cool lightsaber fights. Yeah, so. I'm okay with that not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I am so okay with that not happening. It's not even funny. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the idea of the Inquisitor is pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, that, that Vader wouldn't have been able to be everywhere. And so they would have had some minion. But by the same token, there there's a real danger there. Because depending on how they use the character, there's a Ventress feel to it. Of They've kind of already done that. Yeah, let's have a minion that uses, you know torture techniques or something like that as opposed to the force you know yeah yeah i think uh this is one of those areas where uh you know with the eu being gone uh one of the the big characters was mara jade being the emperor's hand and she is a a force apprentice but she's not a sith and she wasn't a jedi before uh and i think that may be where uh they get the idea for the inquisitor except they work under vader instead of the emperor uh, and so I didn't really have a problem with, with that. Uh, I thought that that was a, a good extrapolation of what we had kind of gotten before in the EU and kind of paying some service to that and to the fans of that. Uh, I'm, I'm on the complete opposite side from you, Mike. To me, Star Wars is Jedi. You know, it is, it is, that's what makes Star Wars, to me, like, stand out apart from just being like, uh, well, without Jedi, you're Firefly. Um, and so I don't want to see Star Wars Firefly. I and I I enjoy the the Jedi aspect of it. To me, that that's just my personality. Uh, you know what? I, I I'm going to counter that with the rebellion existed just fine before Luke showed up. the The rebellion did exist without Jedi in in the original film, and then Luke showed up and you know turned the tide and everything like that. And you know Obi Wan comes out of retirement. I, I I very emotionally plug into what Mike is saying, where how intriguing would it have been to have this tale of people who were fighting back that didn't have any any magical power? Like it it was all just they just decided they had had enough and they they were going to come back, um, you know, keep the memory of the Jedi alive because obviously they said may the Force be with you in the original and and stuff like that, but the rebellion wasn't the Jedi. It was normal people, you know, saying enough, we're going to fight back. I mean, I totally understand what you're saying, Matt, but at the same time, I I don't know, there's two, two sides of it. One is every time you stick a Jedi in Star Wars, you are in a sense diminishing the Jedi, which already exist. Yeah. Okay. The other side of that is, what's Star Trek? Star Trek is a captain on a ship flying through space, exploring the unknown, and yet what's the best Star Trek? Deep Space Nine. So let's get rid of the, the you know, 
Star Wars version of the spaceship, which is a lightsaber. And let's look at it. I mean, the, one of the great things is now we have this this huge canon with all of these possibilities. And we've got comic books and we've got movies and standalone movies and everything. And we can do anything and look at any side of it. And we don't need to be locked in on just that one thing that Star Wars is. And um, I think that that is what's really exciting about this whole Disney-fication of Star Wars to me, and I am really excited about it. And of course, you know, I'm going to watch Rebels, and I'm, I'm of course, you know, going to be okay with, with the lightsabers that are in there and everything like that, but I just want them to be bold enough to not have to check all the boxes, you know? I think that would be cool. I want to see, I want to see something Star Wars that doesn't have R two D two and C three PO in it. You know, that I can I mean, get on board <laughs> with. Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't need those characters specifically to be in everything. You know, for me, I like the fact that we're we're kind of seeing, you know, what it was like to be, because we haven't really seen this, I guess, and and this is probably what they were thinking this kind of mirrors what it might have been like to be Obi-Wan and be frightened of the fact that you you can't show who you are and when you do you're immediately going to be hunted um and you know obviously Obi-Wan has a very important mission but any other Jedi that was still alive you know the the idea of you can't really be who you are you know um and who you are is a, is somebody who uses the force and believes in helping other people and I, I like that they're playing with that along with giving us what I think is one of the best things about this show is I love the message of it. You know, my favorite line in there is is Hera when she says, if all you do is fight for your own life, your life is worth nothing. And I thought, what a great message for kids in a world that is all about selfishness and what we look like and making myself look good on social media and, and all of that kind of stuff to have a, a message about that, you know, if you want things to change, you have to stand up and make them change. None of that John Mayer crap waiting on the world to change. Uh, you know, get out there and make the world change. Um, and uh, this is, I think, a, a, a good thing to see uh, in, in Star Wars. And I think it's a good thing to see for our kids. You know, this is something that I'm like... Yeah, for me personally, I'm about to get married. If when we have kids, I will not be afraid to show them Star Wars Rebels or a show like this. It's you know talking about yeah, you're you're here to make a difference. You know, in the same way that Kirk tells Picard, you're you're on that bridge to make a difference. Don't ever let them move you. You know, I just I love that. I'll give you a point for uh you know invoking that message but i will deduct that point for using generations to make it oh. that, that's all i'm gonna say oh generations is awesome no Come it's on. not no it is not well, it is I, awesome. you know okay, if, we're not I here have to, to s- fight about star trek no we're not okay? but i have we'll to fight say about that, in that is probably my one of my favorite scenes in in any star trek was just that one scene because i i felt like it just encapsulated the message of what it meant to be you know kirk what it meant to be the captain Wherever you were, whether you were on a space station or whatever. Oh, I no, no, I so I, 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 get, I give you that point. I just wanted to get a cheap job <laughs> in this generation. Thanks, John. That's, that's, I mean, that I, was my I totally angle. agree with with what you're saying, Matt. But I guess my counterpoint to that would be, like, wouldn't it be cool if we could, in addition to that, show kids that 
you don't have to be a Jedi to do that stuff. You can just be a kid. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I got to side with I Mike think, on I this think one. that that's I one of the things Mike that did. they'll do with the other, you know, the other characters. Um, and I'm kind of hoping they'll maybe start to do with Sabine. I, I, she's the one character I feel like we don't really know too much about, even through the the third episode with R2 and, and C-3PO. We don't really get much of her yet. So I'm, I'm interested because she has an interesting backstory. You know, her parents were taken by the Empire somehow. You know, we know she's wearing Mandalorian armor. There's a if lot they, of history If they make her there, related I, to Boba Fett in some way, that is the moment I stop well, watching the show. Well, you know, actually, the, the rumor was maybe that she had been related to Satine uh, okay, and Bo-Katan okay. from the Clone Wars, but um, Dave Filoni said no. So uh, I was disappointed in that because I thought that would have been one of the coolest things ever because then maybe we would have gotten Katie Sackoff back um, as Bo-Katan, but no. So... Um, John, I I wanted to talk a little bit, some, some other things to kind of, kind of, kind of start wrap things up. You mentioned the music to me. I'm right there with you. Um, I feel like it's a little too on the nose and, and, um, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I know exactly what they're trying to do. Uh, part of this is they're introducing Star Wars in some ways to maybe a generation who hasn't seen Star Wars yet. So using those themes doesn't hit them like it hits us. Uh, Mike and Jamie, what did you guys think? I definitely agree with John where the music was a little too on the nose. You could you could find somebody who could compose something John John Williams like and Star Wars like enough where you can get that that feel that you get when you play a certain piece of that score without having that score over the animation or the film whatever it is. It it it, it kind of took me out just like john where you know that score note for note and what scenes they go to i I did not have a problem with that honestly i i kind of liked it actually you know anytime that i heard you know a little familiar piece of the music i was like ooh, ooh, this is fun this is enjoyable you know i like this music and also um like in one of those shorts, they had like the the fight where the with the gun turrets, you know, and there it was like almost like a shot for shot recreation of the the gun turret battle from uh, A New Hope. Yeah, and I was like, this is weird, but I love it. I love seeing an animated version of that thing, and I love that they're sort of like establishing that this is the style that they're going for, and I'm totally down with that. So I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't take me out of it. If anything, it draws me into it because I'm like, ooh, you know, this is this is interesting how they're doing this. It's a very strange choice, and yet I like it. So yeah, it doesn't bother me. And on a whole, Mike, you know, I've heard a lot of people mention exactly what you did. And I, you know, I know Kevin Kiner. I watched all of the Clone Wars. I have the soundtrack Kiner is fantastic. He can definitely mimic John Williams without actually being John Williams. And he can incorporate the themes in a way that doesn't feel so plagiaristic. I think that they're laying it on thick here because they're creating that nostalgia feel. And they're wanting you to feel like you're back in the original trilogy. And I completely get that. It, would it be the way that I would have gone? No. But I, I also think that maybe, you know, midway through the season, 
they might start branching off and I hope they do musically to kind of give us some themes that are Rebels themes because, you know, the same thing they did with Clone Wars. We had some some themes there that, that went throughout the series that went with certain characters that I really liked and I'd like to see them do that with Rebels while continuing to just kind of work in that John Williams stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that would be great. I guess uh, the last two questions I have, one, uh, too nostalgic or just enough? I, I think it's just enough. I, I don't I don't have any problem with the uh, nostalgia in the in uh, Rebels. It's fine. Little heavy right now, but I think they'll course correct. I think they'll course correct, but it's right. It's just over the line for me so it's just a little bit of a course correction for me and i'm honestly with uh mike even with a music complaint and and maybe uh the the characters i uh, i feel being a little too wooden um which a lot of people complained about at the beginning of clone wars and i didn't i maybe i'm just expecting them to have more of the articulation i'm used to at this point and that's probably my own fault so i'm not going to blame them for that i love rebels I'm down with this show. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, even uh, the, we talked a lot about the fun, but um, this show was dark too. I mean, they are just killing stormtroopers left and right as if they are not people, which I thought was really interesting because they're not battle droids anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, just to kind of wantonly murder people, you may or may not have to, I thought was really interesting. And, that's the one thing I hope Whoa. is that the stormtroopers don't continue to be battle droid replacements and, and that's stupid because the stormtroopers weren't that dumb in the original series. I think that this might be an instance where the Clone Wars is working against the show because the Clone Wars did such a good job of establishing the clones as people. Whereas stormtroopers, when we were growing up, were cannon fodder for the, for the good guys. Like that was it. There was no pause to say, oh, no, they just shot a dude in the stomach and he fell down a bottomless chasm in the middle of the Death Star. It was, oh, they shot a stormtrooper. And it's like the, their armor made them inhuman. And uh, I don't know, it abstracts it enough. Uh, you know, it feels enough like the, the, old, the old movies where you didn't think too much about a stormtrooper, you know, getting whacked. I guess the last question that I have for you guys on this is we've got shared continuity now. Uh, films and the TV shows, whichever, if they they decide to do more, if some live action show finally comes into being or something like that, standalone movies, uh, comics, books, they're all going to be fitting together now. How do you guys feel about that? Because that's something that can create tension, especially for me, you know, as being somebody who really loved the EU, and obviously I love Star Trek books as well, not having the freedom to really do whatever you want can sometimes make your material seem a little lackluster because you don't have that full freedom. At the same time, it can make it awesome because it actually has something to do with the rest of the story. So it's a double-sided sword if you ask me. Yeah, I love how they're they're tying all of this stuff in together. You know, it's it's sort of that thing that you always hope for 
as as a nerd and <laughs> growing up. And I've always been a huge fan of shared continuities, as anyone who knows me will tell you. And the idea of like the books actually impacting what is going to be on screen, maybe, is kind of cool. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And honestly, from a business standpoint, I mean, this is going to get me to buy those books in in a way that I haven't, you know, up until now. I cannot wait to read Mark Wade's run on Princess Leia. Mark Wade and Terry Dodson doing Princess yeah. Leia. Is that not the best thing ever? I'm sorry. I don't care about episode seven. Screw that. Give me this comic book. And and like even with, with Rebels, you know, it's like this thing where I'm sort of being like very almost like precious about it you know and like i'm finishing up clone wars now at like as fast as i can so that i can read the the book new dawn before i continue on with rebels because i'm like this is a thing and there i heard that there's actually planning on referencing stuff that happens in the book in an upcoming episode of the show i don't know if that's true or not but it's like, I, I want to actually experience this the way that they're laying it out for us to experience. And it's just, it's it's the best thing. I, I just can't wait. Uh, to, to speak to the creativity angle, I, I really think that the shared continuity is they allow the people to be creative. And then once it's created, they say, okay, now it's part of the firmament. Because Ryan Johnson in an interview was asked point blank. They said, you know, what kind of lockdown are you under in terms of writing episode eight right now. And he said, oh, no, I've got complete freedom. But when I'm done, then it's officially part of everything. And so I think that they're doing it right. You know, I mean, just to kind of add to that, the day that they made this announcement about the shared continuity and they announced the first three novels or whatever, it was C2E2, a, a com big comic book convention in Chicago was going on. And like literally like an hour after they announced that was the Del Rey panel where they had one of the novelists there. And I was like, I'm going to that panel, you know, and, and I went there and I asked the guy, I'm like, okay, all of these books take place like prior to Jedi. Was that like a specific thing? Were there things where they were like, you can't do that. You can't do this. You know, what's the deal? And he's like, no, they wanted me to do a book about Luke that took place in between Star Wars and Empire. And they were like, you can't kill him. And that's pretty much it, <laughs> you know? And I like, I don't think much has changed for the novelists and, and novel novelists writers yeah, yeah. Writer, writers called? whatever novelists. Yeah, novelists. Those, those people who write books <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know it, it's just sort of like occasionally there will be someone there to be like hey don't do that you know but i really think that for for most of them the process hasn't really changed much and they still will have that freedom for me honestly i'm so excited about this it, it means more collaboration more intertwining intertwining themes within the, the movies the novels and the tv series i kind of wish that star trek did this well star trek did do this in deep space nine the best in tying all the little loose threads together but i, I kind of wish that you know it all tied together somehow so i'm mm -hmm. actually really excited about this so last thing, guys, what would you rate 
Rebels, uh, the first couple episodes that we watched, what would be your ratings for the show? I would give it three out of four stars, but I think that it has the potential to be higher than that. I'm going to go with the Entertainment Weekly route, and I'm going to give it a B plus. Well, then I'm going to have to go my Fez scale. It's um probably an 8 to 5 out of 10 because I see I see plenty of potential of for stories and potential for character arcs. So I that's what really drives me story and characters and I think that when this uh first season's done that it it has a ton of potential. I'm going to go with my Doctor Who scale, and I'm going to say that bow ties are cool, and Rebels is cool, and I can't wait to see more. I definitely think this is a show that everybody should be watching, Star Wars fans, non-Star fans. I think you're going to become a fan by watching the show. It, it really is fantastic, uh, and I can't say enough for, for what the creators have done to, to capture that Star Wars feel. And for me, it hasn't been gone because I've been watching the Clone Wars. Uh, but I, I think that this is is just a fantastic new entry into the Star Wars saga. And I'm so glad that it's here. Guys, it's been so much fun talking to you about Rebels today. But of course, Star Wars Rebels in Episode 7 is not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM the past week. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 self-stealing <laughs> symbols, and he needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The Orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time and well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub. Again. He knows that so, she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, our, so. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so... To the journey! You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like, literally, on your back! It, like, literally, on your back. Like, I want you to feel the weight. You know, like, this <laughs> Like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp 5. The fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The Ready Room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's binders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it the first part to be called Becoming Houdini and the second part to be called Being Houdini. Should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini Rises. Yes. Melodic Treks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted.
conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces, a 60-piece choir and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly, makes it easier for listeners to find the show when they search in iTunes. And then, of course, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. You can contact us at trekfm slash contact. Just choose the show and the mail will come directly to me. You can give us a voicemail. You can send us a voicemail. I know, isn't it crazy? Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. We are on Twitter at trekfm. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find us at the Babel Conference, our special listeners group. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, guys, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, lurking around Twitter, uh, causing trouble at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, and uh, I appear on a uh, weekly podcast called Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig. You can find us on iTunes. What about you, Jamie? You can find me on Facebook as Jamie Sanchez or Fez. You can also talk to me through the Star Trek Phase 2 fan page on Facebook, and that's Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2. Um, also on Twitter, at jsanchez 25 And I'm on the Ready Room and 602 quite frequently nowadays, so you can catch me on there as well. And Mike, where can we find you? You can find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do a show called Off Topic uh, with my friends Max and Brandon, which is kind of similar to this, maybe slightly more chaotic. I don't know. And you can also find me here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit, with Drew and doing commentary Trek Stars with Max and maybe someone else in the not too distant future. And you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb about Deep Space Nine with Christopher Jones as well as doing literary treks with him as well about the books and comics of Star Trek here on Trek FM. And you can find me at my own personal website at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, that's all we've got for you. We thank you for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Mm-hmm.